All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Now in Acts chapter 24, verse 24, And after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he, talking about Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I don't want a show of hands, but I have a simple question to begin this message this morning. And that simple question is this. How many of us really want to see this church grow to the glory of God? I pray that we do, not to my glory, not to your glory, not to the glory of Bethel, but to the glory of God. A man quoted his pastor one time, and he said, for a church to be a great church, you must have a dream. You've got to have a goal. You know, if you don't have a goal, you don't have anywhere to, to direct yourself toward. And so we need a goal as a church. You know, if you don't have a goal, it's just sort of like traveling without a map. <laughs> We're just going to sort of go where the wind blows us, where our thoughts lead us, and we end up aimlessly wandering about just trying to hit and miss from time to time. The wisest man who ever lived, with the exception of Jesus, was that man Solomon. And in Proverbs 29 18, he said, where there is no vision, the people perish. Amen. And that word vision has the idea of a prophetic vision or of a dream or of a word as from God. So what he's saying is we need to let God set our goals. Amen. We need to let God point us in the direction that we want to go or that we need to go. And then when he said without that, without a vision, the people perish. That word perish has the idea of being let loose. It just means running amok. It just means going this way or that way or whatever way we might want to go. And so we need a goal. We need a desire and that desire, I believe, one of them would be to grow as God would have us to, to be the kind of church that God would have us to be. You see that this message is entitled Procrastination. Now, I feel that I'm qualified to speak to this subject this morning because I'm the chief procrastinator. And so it's real easy, isn't it, to put things off. You know, I announced Wednesday night, I asked for your prayers because I'd already looked at two messages and this was one of them. And when I sent Sister Vicki the title of the message for the bulletin, I said, I've come full circle. I started out here and I said, no, that's not it. And then the Lord brought me right back to this message. What does Ecclesiastes 11.4 tell us? He that observeth the wind shall not sow and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. You can't always wait for ideal conditions to do something. And you can't always wait for ideal conditions to do what you should do. When we studied from the book of Ecclesiastes, I think I used this illustration. Imagine a farmer, and he needs to cut hay, and he needs to spray weeds. And he goes out and he looks and he says, well, it might rain today. Don't want to cut the hay and let it lay on the ground for a while and get wet and, and ruined. I need to spray the weeds, but 
you know, there's a wind blowing and so I'll spray weeds another day. But if he does that and he, every day he goes out and says, well, it looks like rain or, or the wind might blow, he'll never cut hay and he will never spray the weeds. I believe a lot of God's people today and a lot of the Lord's churches are waiting for ideal conditions to get busy serving God. Listen, folks, it's not going to get any better than it is right now. Brother Sean mentioned in the Sunday school class, and he said, and I agree with him, that I had mentioned over the last few weeks, folks, they're coming after us. I'm talking about the world. I'm talking about those who don't love God. I'm talking about those who don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're coming after us. And one of these days, and here's what thought I've had this week. You know, most people in this nation don't know all of the history of this nation. And we have people today who say, oh, well, religious persecution could never happen in America. We've got the Constitution and we've got the Bill of Rights. When has that ever bothered anybody? Before the Constitution, before the Bill of Rights, there was religious persecution in this nation. It's amazing. People came from Europe, came from England, came here to escape religious persecution. And what's the first thing they did? They started persecuting people that didn't believe as they did. And so did it happen in America in the past? Yes. Can it happen again? Absolutely it can happen again. So there's no better time, there's no better condition than what we're seeing right now to serve God. I'm not sure what conditions people are waiting for. To have an easy time of it? It's not going to get any easier. To have our witness of Christ welcomed by the world? Listen, folks, our witness of Christ is not going to be welcomed by the world because our witness of Christ condemns the world. Are we waiting as God's people today to be considered valuable by the world? Well, we're not considered and we won't be considered valuable by the world. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told that worldly church at Corinth. You know, Corinth was a worldly church. And he's going to talk about how the world viewed him and those who traveled with him and those who preached the gospel. And then in a way how those folks at Corinth considered themselves. He said, we are fools for Christ's sake. Now that's how the world looks at us. The world says, you're a fool for being here this morning. The world says you're a fool for believing the Bible. The world says you're a fool for believing in Jesus. We know better. But he said, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring. And that word means the scum of the earth and the offscouring of all things unto this day. That's how the world looks at us. That we're the scum of the earth. We're worthless. And it won't bother them to get rid of us. And it's not going to get any easier to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, so we might as well stand right now. And so where there's no vision, the people perish. But if we start looking around for the ideal conditions, We'll never have a vision. We'll never do anything for the Lord. So over in James chapter 4, James gives us an illustration of that kind of thinking. He tells us about a man, and we're familiar with this man in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. He had some good ideas from a business standpoint, didn't he? Just from a worldly 
business standpoint, he designed a plan. And his plan was to go somewhere and to make some money. And he even designed a period for his plan. He said, look, today or tomorrow, we're going to do this. He didn't put it off. He didn't procrastinate. He said, this is when I'm going to do it. And then he said, he had a place. He said, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city. And here's what we're going to do. Here's his plan. We're going to buy and we're going to sell. And he even had in his mind making a profit because he said he can get gain. Now that sounds really great. Now here's, my plan. here's what I intend to do. But what did James say to him in verse 15 or say about this man in verse 15? For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that. See, this man made his plans, but if you look at the problem with his plans, the problem with his plans was this. He didn't include God in his plans. He just said, here's what I am going to do. Probably every person under the sound of my voice this morning has plans for tomorrow. Probably even plans for this afternoon, plans for tonight, plans for this next week. Here's what I want to get done next week. Let me ask you this. Do your plans include the Lord? Do your plans include how God might change your plans. Now, whether this man that James is talking about is guilty of procrastination or disobedience, it really doesn't matter because, again, he didn't consider God in his plans. He just said, this is what I'm going to do. Go into such a city, buy and sell, and get gain. Well, have you sought God's will about it, mister? Well, no, I haven't. I'll just, here's what I intend to do. I thought about asking how many have day planners. Nobody has day planners? Well, good. <laughs> you know what? Oh, you do? Do you plan out your days? You do? Well, good. I hope you, and you consider the Lord in planning out your days. I know you do. But oftentimes we just plan our days, and it's possible to plan our days without seeking God's will. And that's probably the area, not seeking God's will and the title of this message, Procrastination, is probably the area in which most of God's people are so much like the world today. We make our plans, period. We just make our plans. You know, I think I talked last week about that rich fool. Or I've preached recently about that rich fool in the book of Luke. I call him the rich fool with the two small barns, T-O-O. -O. Their barns were too small. God blessed him. God blessed that man and, and gave him a great harvest. And that man was... So happy to have a great harvest. He didn't thank God for it. But here's what he did. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns. And I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to put all of this away. And then I'm going to say to myself, you have done well. See, he didn't thank God. You have done well. And then I'm going to say, just uh, eat and drink and have a wonderful time. Four times in two verses, he says, I will. I will, I will, I will, I will. But he didn't say if God wills. And in verse 20, what does God say to him there in Luke chapter 12? God says, thou fool. Thou fool. Now this man wasn't a fool for having barns. He wasn't a fool for having a harvest. God gave him the harvest. Why was he a fool? Because he made his plans without considering God. And God said, thou fool, this night thy soul is going to be required of thee. Then who is all this going to belong to? Who shall these things be which thou hast provided? And so he needed to make his plans according to the will of God. 
Now, I'm going to try to bring all of this together in a few moments, all right? I know it sounds sort of scattered right now. Dr. Adrian Rogers told a story of when he was in seminary, going to seminary with this young man who told him one day, there's a man in your area where you pastor. He says he's an old man. He's got a lot of things wrong with him. In fact, the young man, young preacher in his 20s, described this man this way. He's got one foot in the grave and the other foot on a banana peel. I mean, he's just that close to death. And He's unsaved. And so he told Pastor Rogers, he said, you need to go and talk to this man. And so Dr. Rogers' testimony is he went and talked to this man, led him to the Lord. The man was saved. But not long after that, this 20-year-old preacher got up from the table one day. He gasped and he fell over dead from a massive heart attack. What's the point of that? See, sometimes we think I've got lots of time. And we look at somebody older than us and say they don't have much time. But we never know when God is going to call us home. Listen, God can overrule our plans. We can make our plans. And it's not wrong to make plans as long as we consider the Lord in our plans. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we'll do this or we'll do that. How often do we make our plans contingent upon God's will? I know a lot of times we'll say, well, we're going to have services tonight, Lord willing. But how often do we say that out of habit? How often do we say that just because we think we ought to say that? But how often should we say and really mean this is what we plan to do if it's the Lord's will? Went to church one Sunday night at one place. And when we got there, there'd been a major electrical failure. And this is in the summertime, major electrical failure in the area. And we knew that inside the building was not going to be comfortable. And it was going to be dark if we tried to meet. So we had to call off services. We had plans for that night. But our plans got changed. So God can allow our plans to be changed. This man failed to consider God. He failed to consider God's will for his life in several different areas. And we're going to consider one of them this morning, and that's, I've already announced it, procrastination. This man presumed, in the book of James, this man presumed he had a year, didn't he? We're going to go into such a city. We're going to stay there a year. And here's what we're going to do, and here's the money that we're going to make. Let me ask you this. What kind of time do you presume that you have? How many years do you have left? You know? None of us knows. None of us knows. I read just recently and pray for this family. I'm not going to mention the family name, but a young lady that apparently worked as a jailer up in a county north of here, from what I can understand, must have had a terrible accident, a fatal accident. And her life was, she was 25, 26 years old. See, we assume we have a lot of time. And so you know what we do? We put things off. Let's put up, uh, there'll be time later. There'll be another time to do this. Came in this morning, Brother Gene said, you didn't call me this week. There's something we planned to do up here. And he said, you didn't call me this week. I said, well, my problem is not so much procrastination on that as it is bad memory. But I think there's a bit of procrastination there too. See, James says, again, going back to the book of James, our lives are what? They're vapor. That word vapor is the word atmosphere. You know what we get from it? Atmosphere, air, exhalation. <sighs> There's our lives. 
Right? That's what James says there in the book of James. Proverbs 27.1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Why? For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't know what the future holds. A lot of times I'm asked this. Quite often I'm asked this. What are you going to do tomorrow? I don't know. You don't know either. But I don't know. People say, preacher, what are you doing tomorrow? I don't know. I know what I plan to do. Okay. But I also know that one phone call can change my plans for the whole day. And so we have to make our plans considering God's will in our plans. And James says, again, talking about this man and his procrastination. I know I've joked about it from time to time. But folks, it's a real problem. And as God's people, we need to ask God to help us stop wasting our time. And to serve him better. Quit putting off what he wants us to do. I don't know about you, but I'm sure you probably do. If you're average, we have a great waster of time in our homes. Amen. You know what? Probably more than one, right? You know what it's called? Two letters, TV, right? television. I mean, I know what it's like. I know how easy it is to turn that thing on and plop down in the easy chair or the recliner. I tell Brother Deacon over there, Brother Dennis gave me a, and Sister Rhonda gave me a recliner. And it's a deadly recliner. Because you sit in it for five minutes, you're out. You're going to sleep. I don't care whether it's me or Joni or who, you sit in that recliner, you're going to go to sleep. I think it's infused with something that the deacon infused it with to get the preacher to sleep. But it's easy to turn on the TV, plop down in that recliner, and miss whatever show you turned on to watch, you know, because you're taking a nap. But what are we doing? We're wasting time. We're becoming, and I'm going to date myself with this, we're becoming couch potatoes. We're just doing nothing except letting our mind sort of sit there and be filled with some of the stuff that's on that doesn't need to be filled with. And I know also how difficult it is to get up and to turn that thing off and to go do something we need to do. The other night I caught myself going in and just turning up because I walked into the room and a set was in there and I turned it on and I thought, you know, why don't I turn that off and read the Bible? See? Now the message over the television doesn't come from God, does it? The message in the Bible comes from God. And so Satan just has designed something to keep us from listening to the word of God. And here's why it's so easy. Galatians chapter 5, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And the two are contrary, the one to the other. Why? So that you cannot do the things that you would. Why do I have such problems? Because my flesh wants to do one thing. And my spirit wants to do another. And there's a battle going on in me. And there's a battle going on in you. And James says in the first chapter of the book of James. That we are drawn away. By the lust that's in our flesh. And I believe Satan. Works on that lust. To draw us away. To keep us from serving God. He wants God's people. Away from his word. He wants God's people away from witnessing. He wants God's people away from worshiping. He wants God's people away from working for the Lord. Amen. Satan just says if I can keep you. See he doesn't care. 
Uh, he's, he's lost us as far as salvation is concerned, hadn't he? He's not going to get our souls. He's not going to get our spirits. He says, if I can get your life. And he doesn't even have to get us to where we live immoral, ungodly lives these days. If he can just get us where we live the kind of life that says, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and that's all I'm worried about, then folks, he's, he's won a great victory maybe in the lives of people that we know and people that we love. And procrastination, again, may be the biggest problem that we have to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Some people may not consider procrastination sin, but it is sin. When we know to do something and we don't do it, James says that is sin. Whether we just don't do it or whether we just put off doing it or whether we say I'm going to wait till an easier time to do it. Listen, I've, Aaron can verify this. Growing up, I'd tell them delay is disobedience. If dad says do something, I mean for you to do it now. And if you say, well, I'll do it later, that's disobedience. Our dad had something he would tell us. You know, he'd tell us to do something and we'd say in a minute. And then say not in a minute, not tomorrow, right now. And we knew that meant right now. And if I didn't do it right now, I was being disobedient to my earthly father. And again, the context here is making plans for our lives and whether we willingly serve God or not. Oftentimes, the person who said they would do something causes the problem. They say they do something, they don't get around to it. We pastoring this church. I had a young lady who was out of fellowship with the Lord, out of fellowship with the church, and her mother stood up one night in a business meeting and asked, will some people from the church, she wasn't asking the pastor to go, she wanted some of the church members who knew her daughter, would some people from the church go see my daughter and talk to my daughter? And three people volunteered. Yes, we'll go. We'll go talk to your daughter. Do you know they never went? They never went to see, they just kept putting it off. And finally the pastor went when she had a baby and was in the hospital and couldn't run from me. I went to see her. But we had three people volunteer and never went. I guess it was just too inconvenient for them. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus had talked about a man with two sons. And he told him to go do something. And the first son said, I won't go. I won't do it. The scriptures later, he repented and he went and did it. He said to the second son, go do it. And the second son said, I will. And he never went. And Jesus asked, which one of those did the will of his father? Well, the one who eventually went. He may have said no at the beginning, but he eventually went. See, the sin of procrastination may look very respectable, but it is a deceptive sin. I don't know what God's leading you to do. I don't know how God is dealing with you. And so I can watch you and, and say, boy, you're just very respectable. And the whole time you may be saying to the Lord, I don't want to do what you want me to do. Or I'm going to put off what you want me to do. And so it's very deceptive, this sin of procrastination. Other sins we can't hide. They're visible many times. But the sin of procrastination we can hide and nobody knows we're committing it. I only have time for two thoughts in this message concerning procrastination. 
And number one is this, procrastination is the reason that many people die lost. Amen. Procrastination is the reason that many people die lost and go to hell. I don't believe that anybody just puts it down, I want to die lost and go to hell. I don't believe anybody does. I think there's some folks who try to sound tough. You know, we're in the South, we got some good old boys that want to sound tough. I don't care whether I am saved or not. Well, you will one day if you don't now. But I don't think anybody really wants to think about going to hell. And so some say they don't care. Some try to make light of the Bible, don't they? And they try to say something like this. Well, it'll just be a party. All the party people will be in hell. Well, it'll just be a party. No, it's not going to be a party. And if you believe that, and I know I'm probably not speaking to any lost people this morning except by way of live stream, but if you believe that hell's going to be a party, just go to the 16th chapter of Luke and read about a man in hell. And he said, I'm tormented in this flame. It's not going to be a party. But the, many, the reason many are lost today is they have not done what they know to do. We read in Acts chapter 24, Paul is there speaking to Felix. Felix is the Roman governor. Paul is talking to him, and the scripture says Paul reasoned with him about righteousness and about temperance and about judgment. Look, Felix, judgment is coming. You're going to stand before God one of these days. And Paul just reasons with Felix. And look at what it says. Felix trembled. He trembled. He heard about, I'm sure Paul told him, you don't want to go to hell. You're going to stand before the judgment of God, the great white throne judgment. Maybe he told him that. But Paul witnessed to Felix and warned him of hell. And the scripture says that he shook with fear. Listen, I have stood in the pulpit and preached messages from Luke chapter 16 and I watched people in the invitation just grab the pew in front of them so hard their fingers turned white. They're under conviction. They were trying to keep from trembling with fear because they were holding on so tight. And I think that's what Felix did. And Felix says... When I have a more convenient season, that means a better time, a better opportunity. When I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you, Paul, and I'll, I'll let you talk to me about this again. We have no record in the Word of God that Felix was ever saved, and I believe if he had been, God would have recorded it for us. Felix died lost. Felix is in hell today if he died without Jesus Christ as Savior, which I think he did. Well, what happened with it? Well, he just put it off. He procrastinated and never again thought about the need of a Savior. Just look to the 26th chapter of Acts for a moment. We have another man, Acts chapter 26, we're not going to read, but you can start reading in verse 22 and read it for yourselves. But there's a man named King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa was an Edomite, and he knew what the Jews had been taught. He knew what they knew. He was familiar with their laws and, and so forth and so on. And Paul witnessed to this man, King Agrippa. And then he, uh, you look at verses, uh, oh, let's see, around verses 27 and 28 here in the 26th chapter of Acts. And look at what happens. 
Paul says, King Agrippa, because Agrippa knew the prophets. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. You know, here's a man who knew the word, some of the word of God. And Paul says, I know you believe. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. On the very brink of an eternity in heaven. But he didn't accept Christ. You know, there's a song we sing called Almost Persuaded. You know what the last lines of that song are? Almost, but lost. How many people are going to have that testimony in hell? Almost. Almost. But I never accepted Christ, and so I died lost. Acts chapter 17, verse 32. We're not going to turn there, but that's where Paul preached on Mars Hill. And he gave a wonderful message about salvation. And verse 32 says this, Some mocked, others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. Almost they accepted Christ. Almost they believed what Paul had to tell them. But then they put it off. I don't know if any of them were saved or later on or not, but we just know that they, they put it off and there were even those who mocked. Again, people don't go to hell because they steal or commit adultery or because they lie or because they commit murder. People die lost and go to hell because they've never taken advantage of the only remedy for sin there is and that is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. They have never repented toward God and put their faith in Christ. They've never understood 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made Jesus to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. John 3, 18, He that believeth on Him, talking about Jesus, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. A person is lost because they've never trusted Jesus People are born separated from God. That's the inherent nature. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5 declares in verse 12 that wherefore by one man sin entered into the world. Talking about Adam and death by sin, so death is passed upon all men. Every man, woman, boy and girl born into this world is lost. Separated from God and needs to be saved. I heard of a tract that said on one side, what must I do to be saved? And it had just had Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And on the other side, it said, What must I do to be lost? And there was nothing there. Because you don't have to do anything to be lost. You're already separated from God. Just keep on. Keep on going the way you're going, and you'll go to hell when you die. There's one other kind of procrastination that causes people to die lost. You know what that is? It's a procrastination on the part of God's people. Amen. Well, I know so-and-so and he's lost, and one of these days, I'm going to get around to witnessing to him. One of these days. That's the famous procrastinator's phrase, isn't it? One of these days. I intend to do it. By the way, let me say this too, because Brother Rick and I were talking last Wednesday night after church and he mentioned this, and it's a phrase that just drives me crazy when you talk to somebody about being saved and they say, I know I need to, but not right now. That just drives me up. You know you need to, but not right now. 
So you're willing to gamble your eternity right now. And then, for those of us who are saved, I know I need to witness to my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, my mother, my father, my grandpa, whatever it may be, I know I need to witness it to, but not right now. That means they could die lost. The great commission was given to the Lord's churches. And churches are made up of people. And sadly, in these last days, the work of witnessing has been relegated to pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers, not to the average church member. One other. Procrastination and omission are the reasons that many churches are failing, folks. The reason many churches are failing. Why do we have right here in our city many churches that are on their last legs? Many churches that are failing. Half-empty churches. Have people just made war against the church? I mean, they're members. Have they just decided to make war against the church? No. They've just simply neglected it. Folks, that's our biggest problem here. We have folks that have just neglected coming to church. Folks that just neglected doing what God wants them to do. And so many times our numbers are not what they ought to be. And I'm not a numbers person as far as I don't want just big numbers for the sake of big numbers. Why do you want many more people here, preacher? Because that means more people under the Word of God. Amen. Brother Sean said something and See, I can blame it on him because he was teaching the Sunday school class this morning. But he said something this morning about talking about how much work because he taught our lesson today and how much work it is to prepare. And he said, you know, it's, it's really disheartening sometimes. That may not have been the word he used, but disheartening sometimes to work hard and prepare a lesson or a sermon or, or whatever and then get up to share it. And, and, and there's a half empty building. I didn't mean to say that, but since he said it, I thought I'd say it. Numbers 32, verse 23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. What does that have to do with what we're talking about with procrastination? Well, if you know what that verse is dealing with, the Israelites are getting ready to cross the Jordan River, go into the Promised Land. Two and a half tribes, Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh said, Look, we sort of like it on this side of the river. Uh, there's a lot of good grass for our flocks and our families like it and we just want to stay on this side of the river. And Joshua said to them, your brethren are going across the river and they're going to have to fight. They're going to have to battle when they cross the river. And they said, that's okay. We'll go and help them. When they cross the river and they go in and they have to fight, we will go and help them. And Joshua said to them, okay, that's fine. But if you don't do that, if you don't help your brethren, you sin against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. Okay? You can't hide it. What does that have to do with the Lord's churches? Folks, a lot, a lot of people just want to stay on the easy side of the river. Amen. A lot of folks just want to stay where it's nice and comfortable and, and everything's fine. Let's just be plain. The folks who join the Lord's churches who want other people to work and build up the church so they can come and enjoy the comfortable services in the church. Amen. It's just folks like that that join the Lord's churches. By the way, that's something that's always bothered me about youth work. And I wish we had a bunch of youth in here this morning. 
You know what I've seen in youth work? Young people want to go where there's a youth work already established. They don't want to start one or build one in the church where they are. They don't want to build it up if it's small in the church where they are. You know, where did they learn that? They learned it from their parents. We've seen many parents. When they start looking for a church home, what do they want? They want a place where their kids can have a youth work. Well, why not bring your kids here and invite their friends and establish a youth work here, a big youth work here, and build that up. But no, in America today, we're ready for, we want things that are ready made. Have you ever noticed how many things are ready made? You, know, you want a house, go buy a manufactured home. They'll just move it and put it down where you are. All right? We don't want to build one. We go to the grocery store. What do we get? Ready-made meals. Stick it in the microwave. We're just, we're, we're ready-made people. And that's what we want in churches today. But we need to be willing to do the work and to put out the effort to do what God wants us to do. And the same is true about a church. Amen. How many of us, so this is only for preachers, okay? Now, not really, but I'm saying this is the way people feel a lot of times. This is only for preachers. How many of us would be willing to leave where we are and go with only about two or three other people to a mission field and let the Lord use us to start a mission work there. See, it's the preacher that, and his family that's supposed to pick up and move somewhere to start a mission work. We had a dear missionary. I love my brother Gary Wilson to death. We sent him up to Indiana. He was there a year and a half. He had him, his wife, his two children, and one other person. They're trying to start a work, and, and the people in that city didn't want to work like that believed like we believed. In fact, the men of that city came to him and said, some of the men did, and said, if you'll just drop this idea of local church only and accept the universal church, we'll build a big church here. And Brother Gary said, can't do that. And so we moved him out of that field and moved him to another field. But folks, people, people want things ready-made. Did you know... And again, I'm speaking to the wrong crowd. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But did you know that when you don't come to church, it's a vote to close the doors of this church? You ever think of it that way? It's just another vote to close the doors of the church. If everybody, let me, this is getting real personal here, okay? If everybody voted like you, would we have services tonight? It's just a vote. Folks watch from home. Not because they're ill. Not because they're physically unable. We have some folks that are ill. We have some folks that are physically unable. I'm sure they're watching by way of live stream or we'll watch the video later. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those folks who just want to stay home and, and go to church from home, right? By the way, you can't really do that. But they've just decided they don't want to make the effort to come. I tell you what, next sometime somebody asks, just tell them I'm a member of Bedside Baptist Church. Okay? Because that's what it is. You say, you're getting sort of <laughs> bold, aren't you, preacher? It's time to be, folks. Amen. A statistic years ago said that 90% of the work of a church was done by 10% of the people. And folks, I believe that, and I believe it may be lower today. I wish, and maybe this is why I've sort of been off balance mentally this morning. That doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> 
But oh, how I wish I could just take out my heart and lay it on the table for you to see. Not this pump in my chest. But my desire for this church, my desire for the Lord's work here and for the Lord's work in general. I wish I could just take it out and lay it right there and you could say, oh, that's what it is. If every member of this church were just like you, what kind of member would this church be? If everybody sang with the enthusiasm that you sing with, what would the song service be like? If everybody gave like you give, what would the treasurer's report look like? If everybody prayed for the pastor and for the message and for the service and for the lost and, and, and for the church in general like you pray, how many and how, what kind of prayers would be offered during the week for this church? I've pastored churches that had clock watchers during the invitation. Start giving the invitation, they start gathering their stuff. They're not concerned about souls. Amen. They're concerned about going on to their next thing. That's all they're interested in. I've had some interesting times pastoring. I've seen people who didn't care whether souls were saved as long as we got out at noon. By the way, it's not even close to noon, so don't worry about it. We need God's people to be concerned about the things of God, especially when we're in a worship service worshiping God. Amen. And I'm telling you the reason that many will die lost and that many churches will fail. And it's not because of evil people, but it's because of procrastination, just not doing what I know to do when I know to do it. I've got to close the message. But I, I've tried to warn this morning of the the planning that leaves God out and the procrastination that puts God off. Somebody will say, well, one of these days I'm going to get busy serving God. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. We're going to offer an invitation in just a moment. And I thought about this, and I don't know souls. I don't know who's saved and who's not saved, so I'm going to go ahead and say this. We know there's a death to die. We know there's a judgment to face. How would you like, as you stand before the great white throne judgment of God one day, to be asked, why? Why didn't you accept my payment for your sin? And the only answer would be, I, I knew I needed to, I meant to, but I didn't get around to it. We offer an opportunity for those who are saved to be scripturally baptized. How would you like to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be asked, why weren't you following my example? Why weren't you obedient in the first thing? You say, well, Lord, I meant to. Same with being a member of this church. But what about this? What if the Lord were to write a letter to this church the way he did to the seven churches of Asia? What would he say? Would we have to address any procrastination on our part? Or would he address procrastination on our part? Or would he say, well done, our good and faithful servants? I'm just going to close with this. and We're going to prepare for an invitation hymn. Maybe you want to come to the altar and have prayer in a moment. I don't know what you may need, but too many of us as God's people know what we need to do and don't do it. And too many times it's too easy to say, I'll get to it later. I'll do it someday. Years ago, I heard this story that a, of a restaurant that said, had a sign out that said, free lunch tomorrow. 
So the next day, a man went in to get his free lunch, and they said, no, the sign says free lunch tomorrow. And he went in again the next day, and they said, no, free lunch tomorrow. Tomorrow never gets here. All we have is today.